Please turn with me this morning in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. And I want to read Philippians chapter 2 verses 25 through to 30. Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 through to 30. Let's read together the word of God. Reading, of course, from the authorized version. But let's remember we're reading God's infallible and inerrant word. Philippians chapter 2, verse 25. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. And indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him and not in him only, but in me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Amen. We'll end the reading there. And we trust and pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing these words that we have read together this morning. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2 verses 25 to 30. And my subject today is the portrait of a Christian gentleman. You see, on the journey of life that the Apostle Paul experienced, he met many individuals. Sadly, some of them were a great hindrance to him and the cause of Christ. Think, for example, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Think of another man called Hymenius and, and Philetus. However, there was many others that the Apostle Paul met and they were a great help to him. They were a tremendous blessing to him in his life and his ministry. And in the majority of his epistles, he mentions many of these very special people by name. For example, in Romans 16, did you know that he mentions 35 individuals by name who were a help to him in the work of God? You see... As the Apostle Paul lived out this Christian life, he met many genuine, 100% committed, lovely Christians. You, you think of meeting someone for the first time. They leave a lasting impression upon you. You, you see their love for Christ. You, you witness their love for the saints and the house of God. You behold how Christ-like they are in a variety of different situations. And you're blessed in your heart. You're encouraged. You're strengthened it. 
Well, you see, in our text this morning, we are introduced to such a man. His name is Epaphroditus. This is a man whom we know very little. In fact, almost next to nothing. He's only mentioned twice in the Bible. Here, Philippians 2, 25 to 30, and Philippians 4, verse 18, there's an additional reference to him. So six verses in all in the Bible. It appears he has a Greek name, Epaphroditus. He's a Gentile by nationality. His name means belonging to or favored by Epaphrodite. Epaphrodite was the Greek goddess of love or the goddess of gamblers. Those that were willing to gamble their life away. The name Epaphroditus means lovely or charming. So think of this man with a Greek name. He's a Gentile by birth. But he also has a lovely, genuine Christian heart. Here's a man who lived up to his name. He's a child of God. He's a man of God. He's a genuine individual who loved the Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart and soul and mind and strength. A man who, who lived for the cause of Jesus Christ. A man who was totally committed to the gospel. A man... The church at Philippi sent to encourage Paul in prison and, and bring gifts to him. And as Epaphroditus undertook this journey, we don't know whether from Philippi to Rome he was an ill or, or whether he became ill in Rome. We're not sure exactly when or where he took ill, whether it was en route or in Rome. But we know that he was ill and his sickness was unto death. He almost lost his life. And as news spread about his condition, the church at Philippi became very concerned about their faithful pastor, Epaphroditus. And once Epaphroditus hears that the church is in heaviness because of him, he, he, he also is affected by their concern for him. So the apostle Paul, as he writes this letter, decides that he's going to send Epaphroditus back to the church at Philippi. Hence the very special mention of him under inspiration in this letter. And he tells them, if you look very much at verse 29, Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such in reputation. In other words, hold him in the highest esteem. So Philippians chapter 2, 25 to 30, is really a summary of Epaphroditus' life. A very personal public biography of a lovely Christian gentleman because what Epaphroditus is is what God I believe expects of every one of us who profess to be Christians here's the type the kind of lovely Christian man that the church needs and certainly this is the kind of men that we need more of here in our own church. We should pray to that end that God will send us such men and women and young people as well. I want you to think of three things this morning. I want you to think of the characteristics he displayed. Look at our text. Look, look at verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, 
my brother. Now, notice his relationship. You see, Epaphroditus walks as a sibling among men. My brother, Paul says. Remember, he's a Gentile by birth. He has a Greek name. He, he, he comes from a, a Greek family. He's named after a Greek goddess, Epaphrodite, the goddess of love. And we're giving a little glimpse, I believe, into his family upbringing. He, he, he has grown up into a, a pagan home with a pagan background. And as a child, he was devoted and dedicated to the goddess of love. Yet here's the Apostle Paul. And what does he call him? My brother. Now, he's not a brother after the flesh. He's not a, a, a blood relative of the Apostle Paul. We could really think of the term, my spiritual brother. Remember, Paul's a Jew. He's got a Jewish upbringing, a Jewish background. He is a, a brought up in a strong Jewish tradition. He went to the synagogue. He was trained in the Jewish school. The Jews, remember, had no dealings with the Gentiles. They looked upon them as dogs and unclean. Yet the Apostle Paul is publicly stating that this Gentile man, Epaphroditus, is my brother in Christ. See, see, that's how you can say, my brother. By the new birth, this man has been born again of the Holy Spirit. He's been brought into the family of God by the grace of God. He's been washed in the blood of Christ. Now, now think of this. My brother. Both are genuinely and affectionately loved by each other in Christ. They're, they're both members of God's family. They're, they're, they're both in Christ Jesus. See, one day Epaphroditus was born again of the Holy Spirit. He was saved by the grace of God. He was washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is that your experience this morning? The same was true of the Apostle Paul on the Damascus Road at noonday. He knew where it happened and when it happened. And Paul is really saying when he uses the term, my brother, I love Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus loves me. We're, we're brothers in Christ. Now, to me, this is a very important relationship. Recognize this morning in the house of God that we're in the family of God together. And in this family, yes, we come from different backgrounds and different upbringings, yet this morning in Christ, we're all one in him and we're part of the family of God. And therefore, we have a duty and we have a responsibility to love one another. I, I want to say this morning, there's no place in God's family for attacking one another or belittling one another. There's no place for division or strife among God's people. We have a duty to genuinely love one another. Love among the saints is one of the calling cards for the church. And let that be one of our calling cards. When people come in, they say, behold, how they love one another. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus said? John 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Notice not only his relationship, but notice his responsibility. He says, and companion in labor. He not only walks as a sibling, but he works as a servant. He was a companion in labor. What does that mean? 
It means he's a fellow worker. He was saved by the grace of God to the glory of God to serve others. If you think of the word laborer, there's a difference between a laborer and a loafer. A laborer is someone who's fitting well. A man who gets his hands dirty. A man who's not afraid of hard work. A man who's willing to to carry his portion of the load. A, A man who gets stuck into his work that God has given him to do. Epaphroditus didn't see the work of the Lord as a pain. He saw it as a privilege. It's it's not just a mere duty to him to do something for God, but a delight. It's a tremendous blessing in his life. It's, It's an honor. God has saved me by his grace so that I can serve him. Saved from sin and Satan. God has granted me spiritual freedom. And I'm now free to serve my Lord and Master. Because you see the word labor, companion in labor, speaks of hard toil, speaks of exertion. And you know what? The church needs laborers. Laborers in prayer. Individuals would strive together at the throne of grace. Many of you would love to see at the prayer meeting. Laborers in bringing up children in the fear and nurture of the Lord. Laborers in the children's ministry. A heart to win boys and girls for Christ. Laborers in the ministry of the gospel in this place. Labor in the Bible. In reading and studying the scriptures and getting a word for your soul. Laboring in the work of God. Volunteer to be a, a Sunday school teacher or, 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 or a, a children's worker and take it seriously. This is what God has given me today. Labor to be a deacon, an elder with a role and a remit and a responsibility and do it with all your heart. Labor in the ministry of the word. And of course it's our responsibility as ministers to preach the word in season and out of season. See, oftentimes when we think of the word service and we think of somebody full-time serving the Lord, they've went to Bible college, they've been to missionary school. But you know what's wider than that? I believe that every believer, whether they're at home or school or in the workplace, in community, ought to have a mind to do a work for God. Back in the days of Nehemiah, the people were told, had a mind to work. It's possible to lose your mind. For the work of God. Someone else can do it. I can't be bothered. But you know that's unacceptable to the Lord. The mindset ought to be. Here am I Lord. Send me. Lord use me. Lord help me. Lord bless me. Notice his responsibility. He was a companion in labor. Notice also here. His requirement. Because it says in the text. And fellow soldier. You see, he not only walked as a sibling and worked as a servant, but think of his warfare as a soldier. He's an associate of the Apostle Paul in the spiritual conflicts in the Christian life. The Apostle Paul, all his life, has been surrounded by Roman soldiers. Why? Because Imperial Rome had conquered the then known world. Here he is in prison, and he's got two soldiers on either side of him, 24-7. He knew what the word soldier meant. 
one who could take orders from a commander, one who would exercise daily, one who was prepared to fight to the death, one who lived his life in a state of preparation, one who was willing to endure hardness. Notice the word fellow soldier. He wasn't fighting against Paul. They were partners against a common foe. He was one who fought alongside Paul, shoulder to shoulder, fighting the flesh, fighting the world, fighting the devil. let's, Let's recognize that we're in a battle. And we are not only sons in a family and servants in a work, but we're fellow soldiers. Uh, And we've got a common enemy. Uh, And we need to help assist each other in the battle. Don't we live in a day when there's a need to take a stand against the evil in the world? Isn't this a day when we need to put on the whole armor of God and go into battle for and with Jesus Christ? Isn't this devil doing the best to destroy the church from without and from within? And we need men to take a stand for truth and righteousness. We need men to take a stand for biblical holiness. We need men to take a stand for the old past and the old truths. And you know what the church needs today? It needs battlers. Those who will stand up for Christ. It was C.T. Studd that said far too many Christians are chocolate soldiers. And chocolate, of course, melts when the heat is on. And we experienced that when we were in the land of Israel. We took some chocolates with us uh, during the day uh, to have a little snack. And when you went to open them, they were all melted and stuck to the wrapper in the inside. Maybe we should ask ourselves the question, What sort of soldier am I for Jesus Christ? Am I a good soldier of Jesus Christ? You see, let let me stress this this morning. Far, far too many of God's dear people, their lives are out of balance as far as the Christian life is concerned. Think of this area of warfare, contending for the faith once delivered unto the saints. Instead of contending for the faith, Many are contending against the saints. They're more concerned about what others are doing or not doing. They see their sins and their flaws and their shortcomings and they forget that when they're looking at others, they they, they should be looking at themselves. And when we point one finger at one person, let's remember there's three fingers pointing back at ourselves. Many individuals set themselves up as judge and jury. Criticize and they complain of this, that, and the other, but but they lose sight of who the real enemy is. Let me stress this morning: our brothers and sisters in Christ are not the enemy. The devil, the world, the flesh is the real enemy. And if we're going to fight in a warfare, let it be against the devil in all his deeds, not against one another. Do you know what? In this army, we're all privates. Do you know that? I'm a private. The elders are privates. The deacons are privates. Everyone that's in a son in the family, everyone that works as a servant in this spiritual warfare as we're soldiers in the army, we're all privates. Paul doesn't say I'm the general or or I'm the commander in chief. No, no, the Lord Jesus is. And he talks about Epaphroditus. This is what he says. He's my brother. He also adds, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier. 
but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Do, do you see the balance there? Notice these characteristics. He's a sibling in the family. He's a servant in the work of God. He's a soldier in the warfare. And his focus is on being a family member. His focus is on the work. His focus is on the fight against the enemy. And that's where our focus should be. It shouldn't just be in one aspect of the Christian life. Let's not just focus on the family to the detriment of the work of God and the detriment of the stand that needs to be taken. We need balance. And that's exactly what Epaphroditus had. He was an all-round balanced Christian. The characteristics he displayed. Very quickly. Notice the compassion that he disclosed. You see, Epaphroditus was engaged in public service. He was sent as a servant of the church at Philippi to see Paul in prison. Epaphroditus had a genuine love and concern for Paul, and so had the church. Now, now you, you think of Paul. He's in Rome. Epaphroditus is in Philippi, which is hundreds of miles away. And this is a very long, hazardous journey. And remember, there's no text message. There's no mobile phones. There's no emails. There's no taxis. There's no planes. He has to take a road journey, either on donkey or by foot. He has to take a, a ship journey. And then when he gets to Rome, he has to find out where the Apostle Paul is being held. Which prison house and then he has to ask permission to get to see him you, you can imagine him going to the official and saying hello I am Paphroditus I'm the pastor of the church at Philippi and I would like to see the apostle Paul and the guard if he had glasses sort of lifting the glasses and looking up and glaring at him you know this Gentile that's come to see a Jew and they'll be asking well why and, and what's the purpose of your visit but, but you know what Epaphroditus However long it took, however hard it was, he did find him. And this was a public service that was a huge act of love. It was the kind of love that we need to see in our day and generation. And you know another thing that the church needs? It needs little encouragers. It needs a love that's displayed, that's interested in people. A love for the needs of others. A love for the church. A love that ministers to the needs of others. You see, that's exactly what Epaphroditus was doing in Rome. He was engaging in public service on behalf of the church. He come bearing gifts. Notice very quickly here, not only his public service, but notice his personal suffering. If you look at verse 26 and verse 27a, it tells us that Epaphroditus was very sick. Even unto death. Isn't that what Paul says in verse 27? For indeed he was sick. Nigh unto death. Now, now, now pause there. We're not given all the details. But we don't read here that Paul healed him. We're not told what the sickness was. Had the apostolic gift of healing been phased out at this stage? We don't know. But we do know this man was sick. He fell ill either on the journey to Rome or in Rome. 
We don't know how long exactly he was there. But we do know he was sick. And we do know that the sickness was unto death. People of Philippi heard of it and they were very sad and troubled and upset. And when Epaphroditus heard of the sadness of the believers at Philippi, he, he fell into a, a state of grief and a state of heaviness. And he longed after them all. He was really homesick for them. And, and he was grief stricken and troubled in his heart. And as you think of Epaphroditus and his public suffering, just think of this as we wrap this up this morning. When he was desperately ill, he didn't focus on himself. He didn't say, poor me. He didn't say, oh, I'm sick, oh, I, I feel terrible. No, he was thinking of his brothers and sisters in Philippi. He wasn't thinking of his own need, his own condition. He was focusing on others. He was thinking of their welfare. He was thinking of how upset they were because he was sick. And he was displaying a Christ-likeness spirit. That Christ had in Gethsemane, that Christ had in Gabbatha when he looked at Peter, that Christ had in Golgotha when he prayed for others while he hung in the tree. Could I say also that God's people are not immune from sickness and suffering? There's lots of believers that fall ill, that become weak and sickly. You see, as a church, we don't believe in the health, wealth gospel that's preached in many places. That God wants you to be healthy and never to be sick. That God wants you to be wealthy, a millionaire and a billionaire. And that God wants you to be well and all sicknesses of the devil and is to be repented of. I want to tell you the child of God is not exempt from trials and troubles. You only have to think of Paul, his own thorn in the flesh, his defective eyesight. Being a godly man, being an apostle, being a pastor of many churches didn't prevent him from falling ill. It doesn't shield us from tragedy or trouble. Timothy had a stomach problem. Um, we could think of Lazarus that died. We think of many others in the New Testament that, that, that were seriously ill as well. I want to tell you something else. This sickness wasn't dealt with immediately. It was unto death. There was a period of time, we don't know if it was hours or days or running into months, but there was a period of time when this man was sick and he was steadily getting worse and Paul feared he was going to die. His life was in the balance. He was very low. Why? Was it so that he would rely on the Lord? Was it so that he would trust in him even more and not in himself? Was it not for God's glory and the good of the church? I'll tell you something else. God had mercy on him in his darkest trial. He spared Epaphroditus. God remembered his servant. God restored him to health. It wasn't the apostle Paul. It was God that did it. Because God's the healer. And he spared Paul. Because God was merciful to Paul also. And he spared the church at Philippi. Because he spared their pastor and restored him to strength and sent them back to him. And isn't it good that we have a high priest in heaven who shares with us on our suffering because he's the man of sorrows and he can sympathize with us he can empathize with us and if you're here this morning and you're suffering health issues or here this morning and you're going through trials whether at home or in the workplace i want here's a message here's a message for you the lord has not forgotten you his suffering child the, the lord cares for you the lord comforts you the lord can come to you the lord will carry you and counsel you and let's remember in all our trials and troubles and all our sickness, none of it is unusual.
Nothing happens by accident. God has a plan and working out a purpose unbeknownst to us. The compassion that he displayed, the, the practical service that he rendered, and the personal suffering he endured. And, and I want you to notice lastly, the cause that he defended. If you think of this word, verse 25, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. You see, Epaphroditus was a messenger to Paul. He come bearing gifts. He was supplying Paul's need in a very practical way. Do you know that in prison in those days, the prisoner who was put into jail had to pay the Roman authorities for the privilege of staying in jail, no matter how bad it was? Do you know that in order to eat, someone had to provide money so that food could be purchased or bring food to prison? Did you ever see some of those old... Um, um, I suppose uh, maybe pirate films I, I, I like those sort of films uh, that, that, that's, that, that's, that's good clean uh, family fun uh, and you'll see somebody in prison and there's a woman coming along and she'll have a basket and there'll be bread in it maybe a bit of meat and a bit of butter or something else why is she bringing it to the prison why isn't the prisoner getting out of jail and going up to the canteen and sitting down and getting a big steak cooked for him because it wasn't like that in those days and maybe that's part of the problem with our society today. But, but the Apostle Paul, he had to be fed, he had to be looked after, and the Roman authorities demanded coin for Paul. And it was the church at Philippi that sent that gift. And I'm convinced it was probably a monetary gift. And many other things, maybe a bit of medicine and a few other books or whatever, all to the Apostle Paul. And Epaphroditus was willing to go. And you know what? He was faithful in carrying all that stuff. I don't know how much money it was, but let, let's suppose it was a thousand gold pieces that the church raised. Well, that's a lot of money. A long journey. Hazardous journey. Thieves and robbers along the way. Epaphroditus could have told a few lies and said, you know what? I was robbed along the road. Kept the money for himself. Or he could maybe have never went to Rome and got on one of those big ships and you know what? I'm going to Cyprus. I'm going to Malta. And I'm going to live at High. Because I've got a thousand gold pieces. Now, I, I know that the Bible doesn't say it, a thousand gold. I, I'm, I'm improvising. But what I'm saying is he was given gifts, including money and other things. But he faithfully carried it to the apostle Paul. Paul says he did minister to me. He testified to the Philippian church. Your brother, Epaphroditus, your pastor, he was faithful in discharging his duty. And isn't it a mystery that he fell ill? He was in the will of God. And he was a struggling servant. And he needed help and encouragement. And he needed sympathy and support. And, and Paul's saying to them, when he gets home, you give him that sympathy and support. He urges them to receive him in the Lord with gladness and to hold him in honor and welcome him back home because he didn't fail. He was faithful. Don't gossip or complain about him because he was sick. Receive him. As you would save me in the Lord. There was the cause that he defended. It was the cause of God. It was the cause of Christ. Could I encourage you this morning. To think of these few characteristics of this man. And you pray and say Lord help me to be like Epaphroditus. And you think of the compassion that he displayed to Paul. And let's have a, a loving heart toward one another. In the work of God. And in the house of God. 
And let's remember God's cause. And let's be faithful unto death, even in the stand for truth and righteousness. May the Lord bless these few remarks to you this morning. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening. We're going to sing.